Hello, bonsoir, and welcome to the Get French Football News Show. I'm Nathan Staples, and joining me this evening are Rich Allen and Peter Rutzler. Love is in the air, and pancakes will soon be in our bellies this week, but that also signals the return of European action. But a little on PSG's big match, and another exciting league and weekend after the latest headlines. Saint-Étienne put an end to Marseille's upward trajectory as they came from behind twice to draw 2-2 at the Stade Geoffrey Guichard. Substitute Costas Mitroglou had a chance late on to win it, but the Greek international missed from a few yards out, sending the team back into third. On Saturday, Paris Saint-Germain prepared for their Champions League clash with Real Madrid this week with a 1-0 win at Toulouse. The home side's big crowd helped them keep Neymar and company out for the majority of the match, with a deflected goal by the Brazilian being the difference on the day. In the multiplex, Monaco kept their momentum going as they beat lowly Angers 4-0 with a double from Stefan Juvetic that sends them into second in the table. Elsewhere, Dijon came from behind to beat Nice 3-2 in a game marred by a yellow card given to Baron Mario Balotelli, protesting about racial chanting, as Bordeaux held on to win by the same scoreline against Amiens. Montpellier held on to win 1-0 at Metz, while Gengar Bencon finished goalless, with Clément Grenier having his first start in nearly two years. On Sunday, Strasbourg pulled off a big win against Troyes 2-1, as Nicola Pepe scored in the final minute for Lille to earn a 2 all draw away to Nantes. In Sunday's final match, Rennes pulled off a shock 2-0 win against Lyon. The home side had have now lost three straight in the league. The last time that happened, Bruno Genesio took over as manager. And that's all for the news for now. But for all the latest in the world of French football, head on over to our website at www.getfootballnewsfriends.com and follow us on Twitter at GFFN. We start this week looking ahead at a big match on Wednesday night between Paris Saint-Germain and Real Madrid. The league leaders travelled to Spain and prepared for that with a 1-0 win Rich, um, was it more of a matter of time in this game against Toulouse, or did, uh, or did the away, well, the home side at least, give them a real stern test? It was a, it was certainly a day where Albon Lafont was possibly the most important man for for Le Um It was one of those games, I think, where perhaps the scoreline would indicate that that Toulouse caused them some problems. Um, they caused them some problems in so much as it was a relatively organised defensive performance, and as you say, Lafont was. Was in was in great form. Um, it, it was a, it was quite a typical PSG performance um, uh, where they they dominated. You know they had lion's share of possession. They had umpteen shots compared to Toulouse. It was just one of those games where, for whatever reason, uh, well, I think we can probably point it to the the mine was on um, on the Champions League game upcoming that, that they just weren't able to finish them off. It took a relatively fortuitous goal. Um, to secure the points, but um, it, it was not their strongest team. There were, you know, several players playing purely. I would imagine to, to rest um, a couple of key players ahead of that that game against Madrid. Um, it's a performance that's not going to cause PSG too many uh, sleepless nights um, because obviously they've now got the bigger bigger uh, picture to come. Yeah, there's certainly bigger fresh to fry coming this week. But um, I want to take your take on the game, at least at the weekend first, uh, Peter. I mean, it was Neymar who, again, was the sort of standout player again. He was creating a lot of opportunities. He was look, unlucky on a couple of occasions, a couple of little ones where it's, it's very close and Alban Lafont simply being in the way. Um, he's going to be the key man again at the weekend. But were you surprised that he started in this one and played pretty much the entire game as well? It didn't give him a rest before them for a big midweek clash? Uh, a little bit surprised. I think I think Emery would be keen to build up some momentum ahead of the game, try and keep the players ticking over. Of course, there's the, the risk, as, as you pointed out, and Rich pointed out as well, that you know they may take their eye off the ball uh, with Real Madrid coming up. Um, so yeah, I was a little bit surprised, but then again, the idea that Unai Emery has enough authority to substitute Neymar is also <laughs> equally far-fetched. So yeah, I, I, I think in terms of how PSG approached it, I, I think I think as Emery said, it was it was a it was quite professional display. They got the job done. 
could have been a lot more goals, as, as Rich was saying. Um, Alban Lafont was in great form. I mean, a lot of it did, a lot of the attempts that PSG did have on goal just seemed to hit him. He just seemed to be there, uh, right place, right time. There was a great save to deny Mbappe as well, diving to his right. Um, I think PSG perhaps would have liked to have been more comfortable. Uh, I think then maybe Emery may have considered rotation. Uh, it was only 1-0, and I think he's still keen to ensure that they maintain their, their, their title focus as much as possible. But we all know that the real um, the real focus this season is the Champions League. And it's such a huge, huge game on, on Wednesday night. And it's, it's going to be an absolute cracker. I really can't. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, and let's stop talking about that cracker that's coming really on Wednesday. Now we'll we'll shift our focus now onto that big game, and it, let's focus on PSG to start off with because Real Madrid have had troubles recently, and we'll sort of get into that in a little moment. But there will be a couple of selection issues really for for Unai Emery ahead of this one, Rich. It's a it's a difficult one because you think of the players that they've tried to rest at the weekend. You think of Cavani, obviously, will be coming back in. You also look at maybe that midfield. They'll they'll try and mix it up a little bit. They tried different things like Lo Celso and Lasana Diara was in there for a bit. Um, it's still uncertain whether Thiago Motta will be absolutely back for this one. Um, it's not a guarantee. Um, so it adds another sort of string to this one, really. You think of uh, the weekend they started with Diara, uh, Rabio, and Lo Celso in the middle. They brought on Verratti and Pastore. They obviously got involved. How would you mix that midfield? Should Thiago Motta not make this game? How do you think the best setup for them will be against what oh, well, what can be at Real Madrid, even with two men in midfield in Kroos and, and Modric, one of the best midfields in the world? Um, well, I think in recent weeks, Lo Celso has probably played himself into contention. I think when the draw was first made, uh, I don't think many would have thought that that would be the case. But I think over the last few weeks, I've been really impressed with how he's playing. Um, Verratti obviously will start. So there's no question about that, which then leaves a, maybe a final spot. So I, I personally think Emery will go for it and go with Verratti, Lo Celso and Rabiot as the midfield three. Um, I don't think Motta would be, would be fit. Even if he was, I still wouldn't be playing him in this game. Um, I know, you, you know, you need, uh, uh, you know, in this game, you're going to need a midfield that's going to dominate. As you rightly pointed out, Madrid have got some fantastic midfielders themselves. But I'm just not sure Motta has got it anymore, especially at this level. Um, you know, yes, he's got the experience. Yes, he's got that sort of incredible levels of almost slyness that uh, that can see you through these kind of games against, against the likes of Real Madrid. Um, but I just don't think he has it in him. Um, so my, my personal preference would be I'd like to see Lasso, Verratti, and, and, and Rabiot. Um, I have a feeling Diara will start um, just to perhaps give a a bit more uh, protection to that defence. Um, but I'm just not sure if he's uh, well. He certainly wouldn't be lasting the 90 minutes. Um, and maybe the fact that that Diara was was. Uh, one of the midfielders sacrificed just after the hour mark at the weekend is an indication that maybe Diara um, is in line for a start on Wednesday. Mm, and that's really the interesting balancing act that Paris Saint-Germain have in this game because you take on the, the fact that um, Real Madrid haven't been the greatest this season, especially recently. They got a, a good result of the weekend that's sort of seen them bounce back a little bit, but they've been certainly in, in different form in La Liga. They're, they've looked a bit poor defensively even against weaker teams. So do you try and take the game to them even though it's at the Santiago Bernabeu and, and you you risk really against a team that has the attacking foot that they have really struggling or, or do you go for that security of having Diara in there, maybe even having Lo Celso in there as well who who has played more defensively recently and, and Rabiot maybe risk taking someone like Verratti out and, and literally play with those attacking three maybe and I, I want to throw that question to you really Peter, do you think that Diara is, is the most likely to see in there and, and also then moving further forward because there has been a case for Angel Di Maria to start with his recent performances and, and results and he, he was another who was taking off um, at the weekend instead of Neymar and Mbappe do you think he might also be someone who, who maybe has a start in front of someone like Mbappe? Yeah, I think on the on the Diara point I think it's really fascinating because it's an area we've been plugging up all season. We pointed out at the end of the transfer window. It's the one area that really does stick out in this PSG team as quite a, almost a sore thumb. I mean, I feel like this game will really expose it. And I agree with Rich that Lo Celso 
has played himself into contention. But the fact that you're considering a player like Giovanni Lo Celso to play in the defensive role in that midfield against Real Madrid, I think is quite extraordinary. Um, he's very much an attacking player. He's at his best when he's in the final third. I mean, the way they could work, Rabiot, Verratti, Lo Celso, I mean, none of them really want to be the linchpin, you know, the holding player. I mean, if they can work as a trio and have an incredible understanding that rotates and pivots and can dance around the Madrid free, then, then fine, so be it. I, I can't wait to see it. But at the moment, I haven't seen any evidence that that will happen, as well as Lo Celso has played. And it's not like PSG have really been tested in, in this regard in the centre of the park. And, and you pointed out earlier, you're playing Tony Kroos, Luka Modric, and, and Casemiro, assuming, in that holding role. These, Especially Kroos and Modric, they are probably the best two central midfielders in the game. Modric, unquestionably. And to, to not have that sort of linchpin, I think, is almost crazy. So I think Diara's signing was purely with this in mind. I think Emre knows it. I think PSG know it. And I think, reluctantly, most of their supporters will admit it as well. They do have this hole that, you know, with Motta injured, Motta's getting old, and he does have, he's, he's almost beyond this level, as, as Rich said. Um, Diara's not fit. I think against Toulouse, he gave the ball away. Well, he made five errors, I think. I've got some stats in. Lost 40% of his duels, which is not what you want in the run to a big game. And if he's the man they're looking at, I imagine it, it may be Lo Celso and maybe they will try it. But do you take the game to Real Madrid? Yes, they have been underperforming in La Liga. But you start leaving spaces and suddenly you're exposed. I mean, against Toulouse, Dani Alves looked slightly off the pace. Max Gradel had him on toast at times on that left-hand side, which was... Really unexpected. And if you're suddenly up against someone like Gareth Bale, who really does have a, a, a bucket load of pace, then there's another area that can be exposed. And if you don't have that sort of insurance cover, the light that Casemiro can give Real Madrid, which is why I feel that Real Madrid have been so dominant, is they've had this excellent balance in the side that they didn't have before Zidane came in. So PSG, it's definitely a weakness. I think it, Real Madrid will probably look to expose it. And if Lo Celso does get the nod, I really hope for his sake that he's able to, you know, rise to the occasion and, and prove me wrong with everything I'm saying. Um, but yeah, Di Maria as well, of course, he, he definitely is in with a shout. I think Mbappe needs to come under some more un, slightly unfair criticism. Um, I mean, it's based on the standards he set himself, but in terms of his, what his output is, it, it's not, not what you want necessarily. But I mean, Di Maria is in contention, but I don't think he's ever going to start just because of the investment they've made in, in Neymar and Mbappe. I mean, that's that's why they've spent the money. And unless he's willing, unless Emre thinks he can put Mbappe through the middle, which they haven't really tried that often this season. I mean, Mbappe and Cavani do interchange positions during games. Um, I think as a trio, the, the, the marketing campaigns, MCN, it's all about those three together. So as much as Di Maria has done well and looks like all of a sudden out of nowhere he's interested in playing football again, um, I think it's. I think Mbappe is still set to play, and I, I think with with games as big as this, you, you do step up to the mark. So I'm, I think we will see that. Yeah, that was the funny thing, really, with with Mbappe playing instead of Cavani in what looked like at least a central area, but for the majority of that game, it almost played with no centre forward. That's maybe why they they really struggled. Let's talk about form for both teams going into this one, and and obviously I'll focus on. PSG first with you, Rich. Um, they've won six of the last games since that Leon defeat uh, that surprised everyone. They've won every single game relatively comfortably, although some might argue that such as the Loren game in the cup wasn't wasn't the most comfortable victory in the end, at least anyway. Um, they come into it in good form, players fit, other than Thiago Motta, which isn't too much of a disappointment. They rested a couple of defenders as well. Thiago Silva was rested. They might also bring in Thomas Mounier, thinking that he's maybe a little bit better defensively minded than, than Danny Alves. And he was skinned by Max Langradel that would put the fear in God in you when you when you think he might be facing Gareth Bale or, or uh, Cristiano Ronaldo uh, come midweek. Um, what do you think? The, some of the talk ahead of this game, uh, obviously talking about Real Madrid's form, which we'll mention a bit later, but mentioning that PSG's forms may be a little bit of a misnomer given the the teams they've played. I mean, in the league, it's Lille, Toulouse, uh, and a victory over Montpellier. They're not exactly the most attacking sides at the same time. Do, do you think that sort of lack of competition, you may say, in these games, the other two wins are, well, against Sochaux, we've mentioned the red one, which is probably the most difficult out of all of them, and then the, the Gangon win in the cup as well. Um, is that maybe a misnomer that maybe they these big games, can they really get themselves up for them if they've not played a really competitive match in, in a month? Some would argue, at least anyway. 
Well, I think that's that's a that's a problem that PSG coaches, um, uh, by coaches, I mean Emery and, and Blanc before him, have really had to solve. You know, we we know that they're going to you know, walk over the majority of the teams in the league, whether the end result shows it or not. We know that they're going to win these games. So we know that the problem for, for those coaches has always been to G up the team for these big European matches. Um, arguably, that has been their downfall in in, um, in the last few seasons. Um, but I think what I've noticed or seen, certainly with a lot of these PSG performances, is whereas in seasons gone by, that, that match against Toulouse was, was almost the norm kind of performance where it was a case of just about doing enough to get the win and not really, you know, sort of slipping it into second gear and, you know, cruising to a win in that regard. What I've seen a lot more this season is they're actually, you know, getting much more closer to top gear for the majority of the game. Hence why we're seeing, you know, such significant score lines that we've seen with PSG this season. So I think that may be a slight difference in their attitude is, that they've realised that they can't afford to just take a win for granted in the league because, of course, that then affects your mentality and you struggle, I think, then to G yourself up for the big games. I think Emery has, and I'll give Emery credit here, I think what he's managed to get from his squad is a need to impress, you know, throughout the, the, you know, the games against the so-called lesser teams, but also then in the bigger games as well. Um, so I think that slight tweak in mentality that I think I've seen um, this season could bode them well because that that certainly has played a part in their downfall um, and failure to sort of progress to the real, real latter stages in the Champions League over the last few seasons. Um, so I think with that kind of it's a it's a more professional attitude, I suppose. Um, it allows them to retain the focus, retain that positive feeling that a big win can generate, even for the even the, for the players that that PSG have got. Uh, and the, you know, how used they are to winning these games. Getting a big win under your belt is, is going to be a great feeling for any player. For, for you know, you can be the, the player for the team at the very bottom, or you can be someone like Neymar. A four nil win, five nil win, four one win is going to be you know, it's going to give you a good feeling. If you're playing well, your team's playing well, you're getting those you know really standout results. It 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 keeps that positive feeling going. It keeps that desire going to go out there, to impress, to be at your best. Um, you know, this is the first, this is really the first game Neymar will have to really show, right, well, this is, you know, I joined PSG for, you know, whatever the reasons they were. You know, I want to have a team that's moulded around me. I want me, I want to be a Ballon d'Or winner. This is his first opportunity to show that on a truly global scale. Hey, look, you know, I've left Barcelona and this is, this is my team and we'll show you what we've got. So uh, I think all of that together, I think should mean that we're going to see a much more professional um, PSG in the, in these stages of the Champions League. Yeah. It's, it's a interesting one, isn't it really? Because the, the real focus as well, because we mentioned before that Paris Saint-Germain in, in these big games really need to step it up. And this is possibly the biggest chance they've had in a long while because you look at Real Madrid's form recently, really, um, Peter, and it's it's <laughs> being kindly is saying it's not been the best, really. They've they've struggled for results. They they drew two two against Levante the other week. They're they're a good 12, 14 points off the top of the table, and they're they're still lagging behind the likes of um, Atletico Madrid and uh, Valencia, although that the third side of those are are, are also uh, starting to drop points they they've had Cristiano Ronaldo not quite in form although he responds to that with a with a hat trick at the weekend um they've got players that aren't really the defense is struggling i mean they still conceded two at the weekend even in that 5-2 victory so it, it, there is still fears there really um is this especially against one of the real big names in European football. Is this possibly Paris Saint-Germain's best chance at qualifying? I know people might point out that the winning against Barcelona, they should have qualified last season, but this is a real big opportunity for them. Yeah, I think they'll they'll come, they'll come go to the Bernabeu and they'll smell blood. And I think they'll have that, Real Madrid will have the impression that they're underperforming. Um, the atmosphere there is uh, notoriously... Uh, 
unapologetic at times, I think, in their, uh, sometimes the way they get on the backs of their players. So I feel like certainly it's the best time to play Real Madrid, but at the same time you are playing Real Madrid. I mean, we're, we're, we're talking about a team that has won the Champions League back-to-back. The team hasn't changed drastically in that time. Yes, a couple are getting a little older. Ronaldo, you could argue, is getting on a bit, but his form has picked up of late. Um, I mean, he went through a terrible run of form at the start of the season. I think it was something like four in, in um, 14 in, in terms of goal return, which is just unheard of for someone who uh, normally chips in in such high numbers. Um, but we're beginning to see a little bit of an upturn. I think defensively, Real Madrid have always been a, a, an attacking side. Uh, they tend to leave uh, the back door ajar, at least. Um, I think I was reading something earlier that actually suggested that defensively they've actually been more solid in terms of the, the shots and chances they're actually giving away, which suggests it's the other end of the field that's been the problem. Um, but you can't look, you can't deny the fact that they are struggling. I mean, they they are a good way off Barcelona. They're, they're still ten points behind Atletico Madrid, and they're in second. Uh, title race is gone. They got dumped out of the cup. They uh, everything for them is is relying on the on the Champions League. And I think Zidane will know that as well. I mean, Zidane, by Real Madrid standards, has, has lasted longer this season than most, considering the circumstances of how the season has gone. Understandably so. And you'd think, well, how on earth could you get rid of a manager who's won back-to-back Champions Leagues? But this is Real Madrid. Um, so with that in mind, Real Madrid going to the game, knowing that their season also depends on this, on this game. So not, we're not just talking about PSG. We know that PSG, their whole way of being and their whole focus is winning the Champions League. But right now, Real Madrid have also got that same focus. And when you're dealing with the, the calibre of players you're looking at, um, as we mentioned the midfielders before, uh, going forward, Ronaldo, of course, Bale, the, those options are, um, are extraordinarily talented, talented. And you don't lose that. It doesn't just go away. Um, and I think we will see that. I think we will see a Real Madrid that will be determined to prove that they can still compete and that they can defeat the pretenders, which is what PSG are essentially, to, to their, what a trophy that is for them is theirs. Um, but I think it'd be, it, I think as much as, you know, Real Madrid have, have underperformed, I expect to see a much, much stronger performance on, on Wednesday. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, Ronaldo is still the top scorer in the Champions League this season. He's got absolutely bucket loads of goals in that. And some may again argue the, the level of competition that they faced. Well, they faced Tottenham and Borussia Dortmund and they came through that eventually. But it's a massive game for both clubs now. Given, like you say, given that Real Madrid are out, out of the league title race, they, they were knocked out of the Copa del Rey. This is all they have now compared to a Paris Saint-Germain team that feel like this is the only trophy that will give them validation for the money they spend and also um, you may argue keep Unai Emery in a job as well it's a, it's a massive massive game on on so many different kinds of fronts uh, Rich and it, these kind of games tend to be really so let's have a prediction then it's at the Bernabeu what do you think it will be? Ooh I reckon uh, if I can I'm going to go with a, unless you want an actual score I'm going to go with a score draw um, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go two all. Let's go two all in that first leg. Peter, well, I think there'll be goals. I was going to say two two, but I'm going to I'm going to be different. I'm going to go three two, Real Madrid. I'm going to go for a, a KG one one. Where, where a classic sort of big tie, tie game where maybe. Paris Saint-Germain scoring within the first 20 minutes after a good start and then Real Madrid in the second half just early on and then it sort of ebbs and flows but it, it never really quite catches fire as we, we expect it to but it's a massive game for everyone I mean thinking of at least from the French side Paris Saint-Germain have been working to this this is why they spent all the money if Unai Emery loses this even though it's the Real Madrid the, the, the team that have won it twice in a row is his job under threat well, that's maybe something we'll talk about, should they uh, lose that game? We'll keep that one on our pockets for now, at least, anyway. But let's focus on domestic matters, at least, now for, for a bit. And uh, Sunday didn't come with the spectacle that we've had for the last few weeks, but there were certainly some talking points. And, and I want to start with you on this one, Rich, because uh, Leon were the Liga and Darlings, really, just under a month ago when they did beat Paris Saint-Germain. And now... They're the ones trailing in the hunt for the Champions League places with both Marseille having a, a bit of a joint on, on second place the last couple of weeks and now Monaco back in that place as well. 
But what's happened to Lego? And they've just really fell off the horse. Really, three defeats in a row is for this team since since uh, Uber Fournier was was in charge. It's unheard of. They just really, really seem to, and I think I've touched on this uh, in, in a recent um, show as well. They really just seem to have a, a, a struggle in finding a plan B. Um, you know, in the game on Sunday, Ren came up with a you know a clear game plan that they were going to be uh, you know quite defensively minded. They were going to be organised. They were going to be solid. They were going to make it as difficult as possible for Leon to to break them down and, and getting on getting on goal. Um, there was an early goal for Wren, which I think probably took Leon by by a great surprise. But as soon as that that goal went in, it just felt like Leon, for all the possession they had, for all the, the the shots they had, for all the chances they created, it just never felt like they they had that plan B. Right, this is how you know this is how our opponents are now going to set up. We need to alter our style of play. I'm a, I'm a, I've been a big defender of Bruno Genesio over. Uh, his sort of tenure as, as coach of Leon, but this is really now starting to become a bit of a problem. And I think if Leon do want to take that next step, which you know in Olas's mind is to become almost a challenger to, to PSG um, domestically, Genesio is going to have to work out what that plan B is and work out very very quickly because it's it's now becoming a real problem. You know we've seen that I think in certainly those those. Well, the, the the defeat to Ren, I think the defeat to Bordeaux as well. Um, they just struggled to work out how to change their game plan to to match the circumstances of the game. Um, you know, last night, uh, yeah, last night the, the, the game against the game against Ren. You know, Mariano Diaz wasn't at his best, but he's their only real senior centre forward. He was then taken off at half time. Um, Memphis was brought on and Aral was brought on. But it just didn't feel like they knew what they were going to do to break down or how they were going to break down Wren um, and, and get back in the game. They really, really seemed to struggle. Um, I think there was a... I can't remember who who they they interviewed after the game. It might have been it might have been Lucas Toussaint at half-time, actually, who, who identified that very problem. But that Wren had come with a, a, a clear game plan to be organised, to be defensively minded. And, and, and I swear it was Tucson was, was saying that, you know, we, we need to work out a way to do that. Well, that should have been worked out and, and that, sh- that that sort of plan should be in place before kickoff that you can then react mid-game to, to a change in circumstance or a developing circumstance. So Genesio's got some real, real work to do because I think there's now starting to be a real growing discontent with with him in charge, that they've got a man who you know knows the club, knows a lot of these young players, but is not tactically um, advanced enough to take this Leon side to to where the fans and, and ultimately Olas will want them to go. And that's the thing we've criticised him in the past. Really, is is that we felt like he's not quite the man for the job it seemed like that last season it felt like in the summer that was maybe the ideal time to think well this certainly maybe needs to change they decided to stick with it it didn't go great to start off with it slowly built momentum but you always felt it was the quality of the players that were shining through rather than his tactics and I think that's starting to show now that they they're, they're unable to do something different like you say Rich they're, they're not able to change games with substitutions they're not changing the game with formations and trying something a little bit different they're just throwing on the same kind of players to try and do the same kind of job and, and teams are figuring it out I mean okay the first two losses were away from home one um, look against a, a, a good side in Monaco, and then the second one, you can say, well, Bordeaux are, are growing in confidence. They've got a new manager bounce, that kind of thing. They've, that, that sort of excuses them a little bit. But this one at home, where they have so many chances, Peter, and I mean, also what will really annoy the fans will be the two goals are incredibly soft. I mean, Marcelo is is very much at fault for the first one, and then the second one. The, there's no one there. It's it's the easiest goal for Ren to score in the world. You have to be alarmed by that kind of defending, don't you? Yeah, I think the first goal, especially. Uh, I mean, it, it is an it is an error um, by Marcelo, and it's it's a good finish from Casri as well. I I, I I definitely agree with with the Genesio point. It did feel like uh, that the second half last week 
sorry, the Ren game was a complete carbon copy of the second half of last week against uh, Monaco, where Monaco just sat deep, two blocks of four, shut down the central areas, and then hit them on the break. And that's exactly what Ren did. I mean, you didn't even have to do much research to work out how to play against Leon. You just have to watch the game and then realize you do the same. And Leon didn't create anything differently. And I think there is a point about Mariano Diaz. I mean, he was dreadful. Uh, and then Genesio seemed to give the impression that he was changing things radically with his double substitution at half time, as if to say, look at me, this is a plan B. I've, I've seen the criticisms from before. This is what I'm going to do. Comes out and it's exactly the same thing again. That said, though, I mean, they did waste a number of really good opportunities. Um, Depay wasted two fantastic chances. They, sh they also should have had a penalty, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute, which was an absolute go. Um, so, I mean, when you balance that out, then you think, OK, well, maybe it's not as bad. But when you actually look at how they play, as, we, as Rich was saying, there, there is no alternative. There is, there is no plan B. Um, and just going back to whether that means should they have looked elsewhere with Genesio? Potentially. I think, I think we just, I'm erring on the side of caution a little bit. It is three defeats in a row. The worrying side, of course, is the lack of change or the lack of direction. Um, and, and I feel like, you know, that, that this is definitely the, the biggest moment for Genesio in, in his time at Lyon. Um, because really, with the talent they've got, they should be, well, they should be waltzing towards the Champions League spot. We've seen what they can do. Um, so yeah, it, it's a, it's an interesting moment, and I think defensively, as as you as we're going back to the original point, I was just trying to work my way back to the original point. Um, yeah, you, 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 they do they are a cause for concern. I think uh, Morel and Marcelo in the last couple of games have underperformed definitely uh, by the standards that they set at the start of the season. The errors creeping in. Um, last week against Monaco, a couple of times they've just Morel and Marcelo both guilty of it. Marcelo for the uh, Ronnie Lopez winner. Just handing the ball to the opposition is careless. But I think that's also partly due to, going back to the point about tactical naivety, teams working out how Leon play. They've realised that they don't need to press Marcelo and Morel because on the ball they're not as competent as, say, when they get it quickly into the midfield, into Toussaint or to Fakir or to Ndombele or Awa or out in the fullbacks um, where they're very effective. I've, I've been impressed with, with Belon Mendy. Uh, he is error-prone, and his, his runs forward do leave them relatively exposed. But, you know, the, we've seen that there, there is a, a proneness to error, and it's been sussed out by opposition. And, again, it, it does come back to Genesio in saying, what can you do differently? And we wait to see. He's got to do it quickly, especially with the run that run-out derby coming up, and San Etienne are looking a lot more stubborn than they were a few weeks ago. Yeah, absolutely. Can someone teach Memphis Depay how to head a ball? Because the the <laughs> header he has for that for that open chance where the ball is in the air for so long, he has absolutely all the time in the world to work out how to properly jump for starters. Because he flies with his legs under his bum like he's like he's trying to go for a dive into a pool, and then he heads it straight into the ground. Yes, we want you to head it downwards because that's a difficult one to the goalkeeper, but not directly into the floor below your feet. That's not how you head a ball. It was a pretty abysmal one. You tell why he's not a, a central striker or anything like that. I, as a, someone who loved to score headed goals when I was younger, I, I was incredibly offended by that moment of football, really. Um, let's talk about that penalty incident that, that Peter briefly mentioned there, Rich. It, it's a pretty shocking one, really. I think most people have seen it by now. In fact, Fekir's wandered into the box and is completely taken out. And the referee doesn't... Okay, in fairness to the referee, maybe he can't quite see it from the angles he's looking at, but the linesman certainly can see that one, and neither of them give it him. Fakir berates the uh, the linesman. The referee says, it's my decision. I, I decided not to give it, and how he's decided not to give it, we will never really know. Uh, I saw it a little while. I was watching the game, and saw it happen, and immediately I thought, oh, this, this, this looks quite... Uh, Quite a controversial call, uh, and as, as Fecky is sort of complaining to the assistant referee, I'm thinking, well, you know, maybe my sort of um, Fecky's uh, reputation has preceded him a little bit here, and maybe, maybe all these maybes to it. And then you see a replay, and you realise there isn't really any maybes. There's really no question to be asked there. It's a penalty. It's probably as clear a decision as you're ever going to see. Um, Jelan just didn't didn't get out of the way. Stuck his leg across. Um, 
didn't appear to be too much of a hint of a of a sort of what I would call a pre-dive from Fekir of of going looking for it. He played the ball past Jalin, didn't play it, you know, miles past him to try and entice a foul, just played it past him to go around him, and Jalin just stepped across him. Uh, incredibly clear cut. And you know, I speak as a Ren fan that that was incredibly clear cut. So I, it, it's a it was a baffling decision. Um, I think my made all the more comical then by a, a later, slightly half-hearted appeal when Traore was through on goal and, and, and fell in the box, only for replays to show that he was tripped up by uh, Maxwell Corner, his his teammate, which I thought was uh, quite a, a, a comic turn of events for, for Corner, who really had a, a torrid time um, last night. But the decision itself, it's only going to make the calls for you know, for the for the video replays to be recommissioned for the LFP to to hurry up with their review of of the you know, the, it's the tender, isn't it? They put it out out for that it, that comes back because with with, um, with the video replays in in place, that's a penalty, you know, and that that changes the game. Yeah, and it's it's a big call, and we'll probably discuss about referees a little bit later because they they, they don't stop coming at French football at the moment. It seems at the moment, but we'll keep focus on on this game really. And uh, I want to talk about Lyon ahead. They they've got a, their own European escapade really on uh, Peter on Thursday night. They play Villarreal, who who've been in okay form, but they they've lost their big striker who used to play in France, Cedric Bakambu, who's who's headed to uh, China. It's still another... It's a difficult game, certainly, because the, the, these yellow submarines always give you a, a tough game and have a good few number of players, for Nals uh, and a couple of others in that, in that Villarreal style have been really impressive this season. But um, it's still a good chance for them to possibly, if the form in the league is curtailing off and there's a real competition for the, that, that second and third spot, really, that the Europa League could be a really good opportunity for them and will come on to Marseille as well to... to uh, get themselves back into the Champions League without having to have uh, that dogfight in the uh, the league. Yeah, I mean, they've, they've slipped six points now behind uh, the automatic Champions League group stage spot. So maybe there is some consideration. And looking at, in terms of the actual team itself, and you think Leon, especially when in the height of their good form, uh, would have an, would actually have a really good shot at, at going, for, going for the title. Um, I do think uh, that Villarreal will give them a really tough test, though. This is it's another really uh, enticing tie between uh, La Liga and Liga. Um, two similar sides, actually. I mean, they're both um, a few points off the Champions League spot. I mean, Villarreal have sort of uh, nosedived a little bit since Bacambu uh, has left. Um, but they've got a young manager. Um, it's good to see them at the, at the top end of the table again. And, you know, I think Leon. <laughs> I don't think going out at this stage would necessarily be a bad thing. I think, when, especially when you're up against Monaco, who have no uh, European commitments at all, and I think that will be really, really key uh, for as long as they stay in, uh, as both Mar uh, Marseille and Lyon stay in the, the Europa League. Um, that, that could be the difference. Um, but yeah, no, I think we'll have, we'll, we've got another good tie on our hands, another good clash. And I feel like for, for Genesio, it's an opportunity to really, you know, close the book on the recent form and try and start get start afresh. Uh, it would be a different style of play, a different different pace to the game. Um, but Lyon in general have done quite well in, in, the, in the Europa League. They had a tough group with Everton and, and Atalanta and they came through that relatively unscathed. So can they, they can definitely compete at this level. And, you know, I think from the outside and from uh, after the start of the season, Lyon supporters are probably looking at them going, last year we got to semi-finals, this year we can go on and get to the final and potentially win it and that that's a realistic expectation and the players they've got the caliber of Fakir and the youngsters like Awa and Dembele and the front three whoever they are whenever <laughs> when they're on form um can be potent so yeah I think Leon will look at this and think yeah it's a route in the, into the Champions League um and it'd be great for French football as well if they can go on and do well Absolutely. And I, I couldn't finish off the segment with that involved Ren, really, Rich, without talking about their good victory. Again, it was Wabi Kazri scoring a nice goal. Uh, Leia Saliki um, scored the, the second, and he had a, a solid game. Great to see him back in the, the starting lineup. But it, did it feel again like Ren playing up a level against one of the bigger teams rather than sort of when they, they have recently, at least anyway, played sort of down a level when they're playing the, the smaller teams and they've come unstuck? Um. 
yeah, it was a, it was another classic classic REM performance against the bigger teams. It's now going to give plenty of REM fans, myself included, this renewed optimism going into to future games. Oh well, you know, look at what they did against Lyon, and and you know we'll go and lose at home to Angers or something like that. And um, I've lost track of the amount of times that we've seen these sort of mini full storms with REM, but. Taking the performance in isolation, it was a really good performance. I thought they they were really organised. Um, really, really hoping to see the, the defensive pairing of Nyanyon and Jalau, um grow. Hopefully, the both of them can stay at the club for you know at least a couple more seasons because they're starting to look like a really, really sound um, young defensive partnership. Leia Saliki, um, sort of rumours of a little bit of discontent behind the scenes and a bit of um uh, behavior issues but you know he came he came back into the side played really well um and Ben Sabaini almost looked like a competent left back um there was a couple of couple of moves um where he really put uh, Kenny Tete on the back foot uh, but no it was a really really good performance i thought um but i'm i'm desperately trying to not let myself get too carried away yeah, I really hope those rumours about um, Leia Saliki having a bit of an attitude he hopefully can sort of address those because he's a he's a talented footballer and it'd be a, a shame for him to waste any of that. Another team in European action will be Marseille who couldn't quite nudge past Saint-Étienne on Friday night to try and stay in that second place that they had had garnered. Um, Peter, in, the, in this one, they, they went ahead nice and early, but were, were pegged back. They got themselves back in front, but they slowly sort of petered off and sent and slowly built to, to the goal they did eventually score. Um, did it feel like Marseille maybe took their foot off the gas on this one? Yeah, that, that hits the nail on the head, absolutely. I think at 2-1, the game just began to just slow down. The tempo was taken out of it. Marseille lost their impetus and... You felt like because Sanatien hadn't created very much at all in that second period. Um, they weren't offering very much going forward. Verich had come on and was, and was you know, um, shuffling about a bit and causing a, causing a few difficulties. And then just before the goal, you just felt like, you know, if they get one chance at Sanatien, they're probably going to take it. And, and you know, they had a, they had a plan B, which, which Leon don't. Um, they got it wide, whipped the cross in, and, and there was Verich to chest it into the net. Um, I think um, there's certainly the element of, of taking a foot off the gas. and the, the, But when they took it up again at 2-2, when they went after the winner, uh, they they created chances again. But unfortunately, they brought on Kostas Mitroglu, uh, which is actually like going down to 10 men, as it so proved when he missed that absolute shocker again. I mean, it's countless. He's it's missed so many. I mean, the, the points he's cost in Marseille, as well as money, um, is quite extraordinary. Um, again, 100% should have should have finished it. Not easy. I mean, it's coming down from in the air, but you know, when you're spending that much money on a forward, and admittedly his confidence, well, we say his confidence. He scored a hat trick the other week, didn't he? Mm. So, well, it's you know that, that that's one area that Garcia is probably thinking. Well, he's looking at it and going, can I get anything from him, or can I offload him as fast as possible? I mean, Jaman is now starting, and G is now first choice substitute. I don't think it'll be long before we see Matroglu in the reserves. It's, it's a frustrating one, isn't it? We mentioned, uh, I think I was on the uh, the preview show, that it maybe gave Matroglu that little boost to get that hat-trick with a, with a Campos in that in that cup game, in that nine-girl thriller against uh, Bourjon Brest, that maybe that would give him the boost to, to start kicking on. But he had that opportunity from a couple of yards out and he absolutely blazed it over. But... Also, Rich, there was a couple of opportunities late on. Florian Tovan had that chance that is, in fairness, wonderfully slaved by Stefan Ruffier, who's one of the best in French football, really, in fairness. But it still feels like, even though Santetienne are maybe starting to have the green shoots of revival, that this was a big miss for them to to remain in, in second place. And again, a couple of little mistakes here, a couple of defensive lapses for both the goals have cost them big. Yeah, especially when you know that Ben Hindsight takes over, and um, I don't think many would have predicted Ren to to win in Lyon, but with with the hindsight that that Lyon defeat would have gone to show, um, it would have been a big, big. You know, they, Marseille will think this is a big opportunity missed. Um, Saint Etienne, as you say, are, are better than where they were, but are still nowhere near where they should be, or, or performing at the level that they should be. Um, 
and as Peter pointed out, you know, Mitroglou, I mean, he spent more time, I think, during that, that opportunity checking whether he was onside or offside. Um, whereas, you know, you see any top quality centre forward, they put the ball in the back of the net, then check whether they were onside or offside. Um, yet again, it felt like it was another Tovan driven performance, lost track of the amount of times that we, we've said that. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a sort of self, self-confessed um, sort of turnaround of my opinion on, on Tovan. Um but yeah, I think Marseille. Looking at that now, they you know if they if they'd have if they'd have taken all three points against Saint Etienne, all of a sudden that puts you know keeps them in second. It puts you know significant daylight between between them and Lyon. Um, it's 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 going to be something I think that will play on on Rudy Garcia's mind, um, and it may, as Peter said, it may be the last time that we see Mitroglou for quite a while. Yeah, it was pretty awful. And uh, I just want to thank our editors, really, for giving me the assist of posting my Florian Tovan piece maybe about 30 minutes before he scores his first goal in the first five minutes of that game as well. But uh, an interesting one. Again, they're they're in European action the midweek as well against Braga. That'll be a really interesting game who are doing pretty well in the Portuguese league, bar the obvious uh, top three that tend to dominate uh, football in that region. But... uh, I do want to actually focus very quickly, really, Peter, on that fight for third because both, like we mentioned, Marseille and, and Lyon have Europa League uh, commitments at least for the next two weeks, really, and, and that will also possibly uh, be in the face of, of Marseille who then have to face, after those games, a, a, a game against Paris Saint-Germain at the Pas de Prince, and then they have to play them again in midweek in a cup, in a cup game for the Coupe de France as well. Um, it's getting a little bit clustered for some of these teams that... Monaco now in the back in the driving seat, having beaten Leon and the Angers win, while the other two drop points. It, it, are, are they now the favourites for that second place? Well, you'd think so, especially with the fixture pileup set to come into play. Um, but as we've seen this season, it does seem to go in swings and roundabouts. I mean, one minute we're talking about Monaco in decline, you know, they're, they're the projects at risk. The next week it's Leon. Next, next, I think Marseille are next up for a fall. So. I feel like it, it does go in cycles, and but at this point, as we look at it, it does feel like Monaco are certainly in the ascendancy. And I think the risk with playing in the Europa League uh, is that you could end up with a with a bad draw. I mean, going to Braga is not bad, and, and neither is going to be a out. But if you end up like Nice and have to travel to Locomotive Moscow, suddenly you've got a draining trip on your hands, and and the, these things do take their toll. There's no question about that. And you look at the squads. Do they have the depth? To compete, I would say Marseille probably. You know, you could you could you could make a case. I think certainly they have options going forward. Uh, Leon, um, meanwhile, are quite reliant on a couple of key players. I mean, in midfield they have rotation, but I mean we're looking at Mariano Diaz, we're looking at Nabil Fakir. I mean, if they lose one of those two in say in a European trip, or they have to rest one of them for, for whatever reason, it will undermine whichever approach, whichever tournament that they're, they're going after. So, I think. Marseille perhaps are a little bit better equipped. I think I say that tentatively. Um, but I think certainly when we're looking at the, the race of the top three, um, it's, it's got to be Monaco is the, almost your steadfast at present. But then, of course, the flip side is, you know, if you go on and win the Europa League, suddenly you've got, you've got a Champions League spot. So I think it'll be a case of testing the waters these next few games. If Lyon can get past Villarreal, OK, maybe we'll think about going a little bit further. And, and the same with Marseille the same kind of mindset um, about how far they can go in the competition. Mm, yeah, it will certainly become interesting as those games start to come thick and fast. And one of the sides that are involved in European competition is, is as you mentioned there, Peter, is Nice who, who head to Locomotive Moscow. But they had a really interesting interest. In, well, interesting isn't really the right word. Disgusting is probably the exact right word we should be using in in this incident that happened in the game against Dijon. It, it ended a three two result to the home side, but that was really completely overshadowed by the referee um, giving Mario Balotelli a yellow card for complaining about um, racist abuse from the stands. It, it's also been fueled by kick it out today. The the English um, organisation against racism in, in football here in, in England. They have contacted their European partners to discuss this issue and, and how this can be addressed. It's it's a real terrible moment, really, for Rich, for the, for the referee. He it's He's given a yellow card for something that he absolutely 
should be respecting Balotelli and, and anything he's saying, even if he does think anything is stopping the game or anything like that, they this should have been treated in the right way. And the referee has got this absolutely 100% completely wrong, hasn't he? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, he it's it's on him now. I think we, we saw in the aftermath of the Tony Chaperon incident, um, you know, he was he was severely brought to task. This referee now needs to come out and explain why why has he done that? Why is he showing that yellow card? Did he not hear anything? Has he just blankly dismissed Balotelli's claims of of what happened? Has Balotelli himself said something to the referee? We need an explanation, and it needs to be coming pretty soon because we're now a couple of days gone from the game, and um, there's no clear explanation as to why Balotelli has been shown a yellow card in the face of what what he's he's claimed he's been he's been the victim of. Um, Can I chip in quickly? Because yeah. I I tried to to, to watch the incident because it is so bizarre when something happened in Italy as well to to Sulimantari for for this kind of incident. And obviously, it looks absolutely awful, but. I just wonder, because I was watching it through, and it, because I, I don't know if this is the case, and that may be completely wrong, and we, we just, I mean, it is the case that he is just uh, booking him because of remonstrations directly about racism. Um, but I think it's Balotelli's reactions to the crowd that may have led to the booking. It'd be great, as you say, Rich, just to get an explanation to clear this up. But I think it's because what the referee then does, he then books him. Balotelli then continues to talk to him, and then he goes over to the to a stadium official. Um, and I think I, can't, I think I read it in Lequipe that he was saying that they did that to make an announcement about that kind of thing. So it was reported straight away to the stadium official. That's definitely happened. Um, whether the booking is directly because of that or because of his remonstrations to the crowd, which I think may come under goading the the crowd sort of thing. Um, so plainly, he didn't hear it, the referee, um, but. It'd be really good, as you, as you say, to get some clarity on that because, from the outside perspective, and and when you when you first time you look at it, you think, well, why on earth is he booking him if he's if he's complaining about uh, some kind of abuse from from the crowd? So, well, I think I'd the only to see his reveal. Sorry, I think the only reason I, that I would be a little concerned whether there's there's truth in in you know that that being the referee side of things is if it was surely the ref surely we would have heard that by now. Surely that the referee, as soon as this came out, you know, bearing in mind, you know, the niece, niece's uh, official Twitter account mentioned it at half time in the game. You know, they've had the referee, the LFP, referees union have all had long enough to come out and say, look, I booked him because, in, you know, at the time he was he was goading the goading the, um, the, the 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 Dijon fans, but that hasn't come out. You know, if that's the case. That's a simple nip in the bud, you know, honest misunderstanding. It wasn't for him remonstrating, you know, it was because I believed, you know, that this was happening. I didn't know at the time that that was, you know, that he was suffering that abuse. Or at least publicly, as you said, just publicly come out and say, well, the yellow card's revoked, got it completely wrong. Because that has to happen. At the, bo the bottom line, as you say, that has to happen. They have to revoke the yellow card. He hasn't done anything wrong necessarily. Unless he has done some extreme goading, but judging from the footage, he definitely doesn't do that. So, yeah, they've got to come out and say something. That's right. Yeah, because the, the referee has to understand this a little bit further. And in, in all honesty, he's you make a good point there, Peter, about um, possibly even thinking you might be goading fans. But at the same time, a referee has to understand the scenario that he's in at that moment. If a player looks like he's goading fans, that that in my book is not an instant booking. That isn't something that you instantly book a player for because if if it would be, it would be in half the games because of celebrations towards away opposition fans or anything like that. The referee has to discuss what the what the player is doing and and get that discussion from the player and and treat this in a mature manner, regardless of what was doing. If he was just having a laugh with a, a laugh with the fans and they were it was a, a normal sort of conversation, maybe then you have a discussion that way. You don't instantly book a player and then wait for the explanation that he's at the fact that he's had to go to a, a, an official on the sideline and, and a stadium official to talk about this before the referee's been able to action it I think is completely disgusting by the referee I think the fact that him and the LFP haven't come out and said something about this it is shocking and appalling and in fact refereeing standards this season have been pretty dire really there's been mm. incidents not just from 
um, ha- happening on the field, such as penalties not being given or free kicks. The Tony Chaperon incident, the, this incident now, a lot of the incidents in the recent past with, with, ra- with racism and Balotelli and, and not getting these resolved and, and games not being cancelled last season with, with, with issues of, of fans and, and on the pitch and, and the referees not controlling games. There needs to be something done here. There's too much of this happening. And this isn't the first time Balotelli's mentioned this. This is probably the fourth time that Balotelli's mentioned this in, in happening in French stadiums. It's not good enough. And it, the fact that a referee decided to do something and act so quickly against him, I, I think is appalling. Um, there was an even, there's a, a great report. I've just seen um, Jonathan Bef- Johnson before we uh, we went on the show that the LFP have had a discussion with the Swiss FA and they're doing some sort of strange exchange <laughs> policy of referees. Um whether that's going to help, but I feel sorry for the Swiss FA because they're not going to get much from that, unfortunately. Hopefully some Swiss referees can bring some actual dignity to this game in French football because at the moment it's pretty appalling and, and pretty embarrassing really on, on what should be a really prouder um, FA. And, and hopefully I mean, hopefully we can start stamping this out because it, Balotelli is, is getting this almost, it feels like too, too, once is too often. The fact that this has been twice, three times, it's it's not good enough. He, he needs better protection and all... Black players need better protection in French football from this kind of thing because it, it needs to be it needs to be stopped really. But let's simmer down a little bit and do something maybe a little bit more cheerful at least in Ligue 1. And let's talk about our Ligue 1 snapshots for this week. And I'll start with you, Rich. What's your snapshot? Um, I've got uh, I've got two very well, one very one very brief one. Um, first one is um, Morgan Amalfitano. Um, become a figure of fun at Wren since joining um, back um, last January. Um, never, he's never, whenever he's played for Wren, whether it's off the bench or from the start, Wren have never won. And it's become a bit of an ongoing joke that he is this ultra bad luck charm. Um, and I think it was about the 18th game um, with Wren having just taken a, a two goal lead in Lyon with, Ten seconds left. Sabri Lamushi decides to bring Amalfitano on to break the break the curse, um, and the, the look of Kazri who comes off laughing, and then the look of Amalfitano. To be fair, he was chuckling away as he came on. Um, was quite a picture. So that that was quite fun to, to finally see that curse broken. And then the second one, uh, apologies both because I, I maybe maybe nabbing it, is the Toulouse troll cam. Um, we um, we we saw it in action, um, in fine action. I don't know. I hadn't seen it before. I don't know if it's a new thing or not. But with the the visit to PSG, it got a good outing of um, almost like a a Mickey take version of almost like the kiss cam, I suppose. Um, going around the stadium, just putting funny captions underneath um, uh, people in the in the um, in the in the uh, in the stands. Uh, a couple of captions that I did quite like the look of was. Um, a couple of the PSG fans were picked out with things like never been to Parc de Prince. Um, one of my, my favourite was a picture of a Lyon fan with supported Lyon in 2000. Um, one's about they'll wear a, a, a Paille shirt when Marseille come to town. And then probably my favourite one was they just showed a picture of Lasana Diara. Um, <laughs> which I thought was, was very funny. Um, you know, I don't think PSG fans will, will necessarily take that in in, in taste, but uh, it was it was very very funny if you can see it. Yeah, I really loved it. I did the, the troll cam. I think it's something they should bring out more often, really. And I, I thought it was fantastic to see so many Toulouse fans really turn out. Sometimes that stadium can look so bare, but that that um, south south curve was looked, looked fantastic at the weekend with that visit of Paris, and hopefully um, that. That performance didn't deter them from uh, turning up a little bit more in their numbers uh, more regularly. Uh, Peter, what's your snapshot this week? Uh, mine is uh, Strasbourg's win over Troyes on Sunday. Uh, a huge relegation six-pointer. Both sides promoted last season. Um, and it was a big, big win for Strasbourg. They, they've only won once um, since the turn of the year. Uh, you get just on a point where you feel like you can slip into a bad cycle. Um, especially they've got Monaco and, and, and uh, Monaco coming up as well as a and Montpellier, sorry, um, as well as a cup match. Uh, they're still in the French Cup and they're put in the quarterfinal. Um, a huge, huge result to, to beat Trois. Goals from Black and Ahulu, who's been outstanding for them in holding midfield, I've, I've felt this season. It takes them to 30 points. Um, 
they were helped also by Mongan, Mongan going off early. I'm not a fan of him at centre-half. He's got errors in him all over the place. Uh, but yeah, huge win for Strasbourg. Worrying for Twaf. They're now second bottom. It's a big blow. Uh, they do have a game in hand, though, which they will definitely hope to win against Dijon, who could easily be sucked further into the relegation mire. But yes, big relegation, six-pointer, and a big win for Strasbourg at Le Mans now. Yeah, absolutely massive win. And uh, I, I think my league on snapshots is, is twofold. One will be there was a strange pre-match wrestling at uh, Gangomp um, for fans to enjoy, which was uh, a bit of a strange one, really. It didn't, didn't really get them uh, stirred up for what ended up being a nil-nil uh, result, but but some great goalkeeping performances, really. Albon Lafont was was pretty good. I, I thought his reaction safe with his feet early on and the save from Mbappe was great. There was a great um, mo- well, defensive display from Lecomte as well for Montpellier. He had to make a couple of, of fine saves against Metz to uh, give Montpellier a, a good win. And in that gong game, uh, Carl Johan Jonsson, who is a, is a good goalkeeper um, and had a number of opportunities that I had to stop from Crivelli and, and Santini and that one to to keep that nil-nil. We always like, oh, I always like a nicer, good goalkeeping display and there was uh, certainly a few in uh, Ligue 1 this week. Uh, that's all that we have time for. My thanks to Rich, Peter and everyone listening at home. Uh, join us for the preview show on Thursday and the main show will be back at the same time, same place next week. Abianto and goodbye.